Hello and welcome to episode 230, wow that's a big number, of SMARTS, which as you know stands for Super Mom Ancestor Replaces Televisual Sam. Ooh, very good honey. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster, and with me as always is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. How about some news? Do you have any idea what that acronym means? I have no idea. Super Mom Ancestor. Hmm. So, no. <laughs> Replaces Televisual Sam. I don't even know who Sam is. What, what, are, we, what are we talking about? Televisual. No. No. What? No. So, it's a hint at our news item. Okay. So, actor Dylan Walsh has been cast as General Sam Lane for the CW's Superman and Lois series. Ooh, okay. What's interesting about this is if you cast your mind all the way back to the first season of Supergirl... Uh, Sam Lane had already appeared and was played by Glenn Morshauer, who's been in a ton of different things, usually plays military oh, roles. He's yeah. been in some of the West Wing episodes we're rewatching right now in the Situation Room. He's there a lot of the time. Um, he was a cop on, he was like a sheriff or something on CSI for a while. He plays like federal agents. Yeah, I recognize, people. I remember the um, face, yeah. And he played Sam Lane in several episodes. Remember there was one where he created like the Red Tornado or something? Um, and the Red Tornado fought Supergirl yeah. on a military base. Because remember the first season involved Lucy Lane a lot right, too. I do, until yeah. she that actress blew up and went on to do other things. Um, so we've technically seen him before. Okay. But they're recasting for this. Uh-huh. So, I mean, obviously when they cast him for that minor recurring role like five years ago, they had no idea that they would eventually want the character to be a series regular. Right. Um and it's not so it's not surprising that they would have to recast, but it's one of the first instances of, of a major character being recast yeah. in on the CW shows. I'm trying to think of another recasting that's that's been as as prominent as this. There were also rumors that they were going to I can never remember which character is which, but in the early seasons of Supergirl they used both Maxwell Lord and Morgan Edge. I forget which one was played by Adrian Pazdar and which one was, was not, but you remember that they had both those characters yeah. in the first couple of seasons of Supergirl. There was also rumors that they wanted to use one of those characters. I think Adrian Pazdar played Maxwell Lord. No, I think it was the other way around. He was Morgan Edge because he was the one that was like the business guy. He was, was the business guy, yeah. Trying to like take over the CACO or something. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but there were rumors that they wanted to use that character on Superman and Lois also. Now, maybe in that case, they would try to get the same actor. Yeah. But it seems like... It's been long enough, and also maybe like the crisis, they figure with the crisis, maybe they can it oh, might help explain why it. some yeah. people look different. Like, I don't know. Um, but I think that because they weren't really like other times, like Legends of Tomorrow, right? Like, that was a show that was built on the premise of gathering characters that had already been established. Right, in other but series. each character is a different. Person. Right, but it's for not but, but for this, this is not this is not like actors. an ensemble show where right. they're gathering prominent characters that they'd been carefully setting up in the other shows. This right. is a show about Tyler Hecklin and Bitsy Tullock's characters, and everybody else is secondary. So, if they wanted to, like, uh, like there's certain characters they wouldn't recast. Like, if they wanted to have Jimmy Olsen show up, it would have to be Macad Brooks, right? If they wanted to have Cat Grant show up, it would have to be. Right. What's her name? <laughs> Whose name I can't remember right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and right on down, obviously, if they wanted to have Supergirl show up, it would have to be yeah. Elizabeth Noyce. But if you're talking about like Sam Lane, who was in two episodes five years ago, or I mean, Morgan Edge is a little different because he was practically a regular for that season. So that was a bit more prominent. Like yeah. he was in probably 10 or 12 episodes that season. Um, 
so maybe they wouldn't want to recast that. I don't know. But it feels like if you're setting up and if you're doing a new show it's, yeah. that was completely unexpected back when you were casting these other side characters, yeah. then I th- it's it's a bit more explicable why you would want to recast. It's just generally I have like an adverse reaction to any recasting because it kind of breaks the illusion of a shared universe when it's all of a sudden a different actor. But I mean, even the MCU has had to recast roles and, you know, obviously animation does it a lot also. So, you know, it's not unprecedented, but... It's kind of interesting that they're going that direction instead of just like they could have used a different character, like a different general. But obviously, if they're telling a story about the Kent Lane family, mm-hmm. it seems to be mostly what it is, you know, the actual blood relatives and also people that are like de facto family like Lana Lang and, and Perry White and characters like that. It makes sense that they would want to include as many of them as possible. And if you can't include any of Lois's family, yeah, because none of those actors are unavailable, you can't really do that. Right. 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 So, yeah, it kind of makes sense. But that's the only news this week. We're still in the midst of, you know, COVID-19 related delays and everything. So there's not really a lot going on. So for the same, by the same token, we didn't have any new comics to read this week. Um, But what we did do is go back and dip into some of the classics. We read uh, Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Skyver's Green Lantern Rebirth from, I want to say, probably about 15 years ago. Probably about 2005, 2004, 2005. Uh, we read it over the course of a few nights, yeah. and uh, we and you really enjoyed it. I'd, I'd read it several times. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really nice. I love the art. I love the pacing. What, what I was really impressed by was the pacing, but you explained even more backstory about the situation um, and the context surrounding the characters at that time and how much of a shift it was from... Um, m- from what I know to what was actually taking place at the time in comics. And well, so, you're, you're several eras removed from right, this. Like, so, um, you didn't yeah. read the classic Hal Jordan comics. You, you didn't read the period of time when Hal was gone. It was just Kyle. Right. And you didn't read the period of time after Hal came back. All you really know is the modern era where there's a bunch of different lanterns. Hal, Kyle, right. Guy, John, Simon, Jessica. And, and you know, they're all yeah, kind of... Not, not that they're all, like, equal in your mind, but you think of them as all being active... At the same time, and you know, some of them become are more prominent than others. It's you know, there's a while where Simon and Jessica had their own book, yep, and which I loved, you know, and Kyle didn't. And then there was a time now, and you know, when Hal was in the Justice League, now John's in the Justice League, Simon and Jessica don't have their own book, and Hal has his own solo book again, so yeah. it's a lot more solo focused, you know, and so it kind of and, and Kyle was showing up in the Titans for a while, so it kind of rotates through, but. Yeah, you've really only known this modern era, so you're several eras removed from the time when I started reading, when it was just Kyle, and then they gradually introduced other elements, like John and Kilowog got the rings back, but this was the big explosion of, you know, Hal's back, the core is back, Oa's back, Sinestro's back, Yeah, you know, the and introducing the idea of the different emotional entities, hinting at the eventual introduction of the emotional spectrum and the different colored lantern cores, which Johns would do several years later. You know, in the ongoing series run that followed from this. Um, yeah, really like a seminal moment. Probably one of the most, I mean, I'd be hard pressed to think of a more, of a Green Lantern story that had a, that was more important, that had a bigger eventual impact on the mythos, other than stories that like first introduced, like the very first Alan Scott story or the very first Hal Jordan story. Maybe the, the like um, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Uh, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams run, which sort of like revitalized the Green Lantern concept, but that really did more for Green Arrow than for Green Lantern. So I'm not even sure I'd put that up there. So this is probably definitely in the top five, maybe even the top three most important um, Green Lantern stories of all time. And it was very well received at the time too. I think that he did a, an admirable job, a very difficult needle to thread. Yeah. Because you've got to pile on massive retcon on top of massive retcon yeah. to explain away why Hal is not like basically 
Hitler. Full evil, right? yeah. Um, like, even if he came back and he was good now, like, he'd been like, oh, all the evil has been purged me. Like, he's still responsible for all those acts. So you have right. to, you can't just make him good again. You have to absolve him of any guilt, really. Yeah. But you can't do it too much because then it seems too easy. You have to leave it in a situation where he still feels like he could have done more. Like, right. oh, I was too weak or I should have fought harder or whatever. So you got to do that. You got to reintroduce Hal while still, you know, tipping your hat to, to, Kyle and especially Kyle yeah. because the Kyle fans were up in arms about like as 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 venomously angry as the Hal fans were when Hal was taken off the board because he was turned into an evil murderer yeah. before he was killed. Yeah. The Kyle fans were worried that not that Johns was going to do something similar to Kyle, but that Kyle would just simply be taken off the board. Like he would right. be depowered or he would just not be seen anymore. But to John's credit, not only did Hal did Kyle play a crucial role in this book, yeah. But even in the stories that followed this, Kyle was extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he really followed through on that promise. And obviously the art by Ethan Van Skyver was phenomenal. It would lead to many future collaborations with Jeff Johns. They did Flash Rebirth together. Oh, Van I Sky- thought I Van, recognized Van Skyver did many. Well, not that you've read that either, but you might have seen pages from Which it. Rebirth are you talking about? Flash was... Rebirth. He did Flash Rebirth with Johns like seven or eight years after this. Maybe I'm thinking of like Rebirth... That was the, no, not DC back. Rebirth. Oh, but he has wrong done, Rebirth. He, he's done stuff that you've read recently. He okay. did a few issues of the Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps series here and there, yeah. um, including the one where Kyle went back to his classic costume. I remember he drew that issue, went back to the old crab mask, black yeah. and white um, costume. Uh, he's done pages for like special issues here and there. And he collaborated <clears> with <throat> Jeff Johns. You know, he did other issues of this Green Lantern run later, like certain arcs he would do. He did the big um, special that kicked off the Sinestro Corps War, which was maybe. The oh, best yeah. story of that run, like oh, I would say, it's maybe even a better, better story, maybe even a better story than this was. Sinestro Corps War was maybe the high point of that run, maybe even higher than uh, than Rebirth. But the I don't know, the Blackest Night was really great too. Blackest Night is fantastic. <laughs> there are a lot of really great stories in that run. It kind of petered out a little bit near the end because it was one of those things like Grant Morrison's Batman run, uh-huh. which extended into the New Fifty Two. So they rebooted the universe. But both Grant Morrison's Batman family of titles and Jeff Johns' Green Lantern family of titles were selling so well and were so popular that they kind of were like reboot immune. And so they sort of continued on telling the same story, even though everything else in the universe had changed around around them. But it kind of made it weird because now Kyle, like Kyle was still there, but now he didn't have any of his history. Like Donna Troy had never existed, so he'd never dated her. You know, there was no Alan Scott, so there was no Jade. So he Kyle had never dated Jade. And a lot of Kyle's ex-girlfriends got taken off the board. And so he had like... So who is Kyle Rayner anymore? Like he was never in the Justice League. Yeah. He was never, he never became, developed that strong friendship with Wally West over Grant Morrison's JLA run. He never dated Jade. He never dated Donna. He didn't comfort Donna when her, when her husband and son were killed. Like you had no sense of who this guy was anymore. Yeah. And similarly Hal, like it's like Hal barely even knew, Hal and, and Green Arrow like didn't even know each other anymore in the New 52. So it was like, it was really weird. And so that, the unfortunately kind of like Grant Morrison's Batman run, Jeff John's Green Lantern run kind of petered out because sort of like you're telling a story and someone's like pulling the floorboards out from under you while you're doing it. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it's you know, but I mean, it's, so it's a little too bad, but I mean, maybe if you go back and you now you read it just straight through as a, as a run mm-hmm. and you're not also reading all the other stuff that's happening in the other books that makes it weird, it would mm-hmm. read more fluidly, fluidly. Yeah. You can just ignore this pretend it's not part. There was no, re- just pretend there was no reboot in there. You'd probably be able to do it because it didn't really affect these books too much. But yeah, no, it was, it was a great story and it led to a lot of other great stories. And um, yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't even, I don't, I don't even know if you would say it was like Jeff John's seminal run. I think you, you'd probably have to say, I mean, I have a real soft spot for his JSA run 
and he did great stuff on I mean, Aquaman, Shazam, Teen Titans. But I think if you had to point to one run Jeff Johns did at DC that cemented him as like DC's heavy hitter, I think it would probably have to be his Green Lantern run, which started here. So yeah, yeah it's sort of his signature story at this point. And now, you know, he's he's told stories with the character here and there again. And, you know, now he's by all accounts, although we haven't gotten an update on this while he on, on this in a while, he's writing the Green Lantern Corps movie. Like he's writing the script for the live action Green Lantern Corps movie, which will presumably still happen at some point. Probably won't take much from this story. Right. I would think. It would probably be more along the lines of look, they say what it is is kind of like um like a buddy cop movie with two Green Lanterns from Earth, who I'm assuming would be Hal and John, just yeah. to have a little bit more diversity in there. Um, so it probably won't take much from this, but it'll probably have a lot of the same ideas. And, you know, I imagine it will then introduce ideas like the emotional spectrum and overcoming fear and all that stuff that he sort of tweaked or added. So, yeah, yeah, that's and hugely influential. I mean, it, there was a while there, and now it's sort of lessened a little bit. I think the the failure of the Ryan Reynolds movie kind of deflated it a little bit, but there was a while there where it's like Green Lantern for DC was like bigger was bigger than Wonder Woman, probably bigger than Superman, bigger than just about anything but Batman, just in terms of like the number, because there was a while where the, there were like a family of four or five Green Lantern titles. So there was Green Lantern, there was Green Lantern Corps, Kyle had his own book for a while, his own solo book. There was a Red Lanterns series for a while. Larflees, the Orange Lantern, had his, own, had, a, had his own ongoing for a while. There were various other miniseries and specials spawned. There were like event after event. Like there were two or three, there were two or three years there where the big summer event in DC was spawned from the Green Lantern books. Like Blackest Night, which was like the culmination of the first big thing of, of Jeff John's Green Lantern run, was the big DC event mm. for that summer. And all the tie ins had to do with like Blackest Night things of various heroes rising from the dead and all the heroes of the DC universe having to deal with their loved ones or old teammates or old foes rising from the dead again as yeah. Black Lantern. So, um, yeah, really important, really influential, really great. Really great run. I really enjoyed it. The And your dramatic reading of it was excellent, yes. too. <laughs> so should we move on to our pop quiz? I'm ready. So our pop quiz is going to be about that very same story. Oh, okay. Okay, so multiple choice, okay. Green Lantern Rebirth trivia. Okay, so okay. number number one, uh-huh. who does not have a Green Lantern ring when the story opens? Ooh, I know. Who? who? Guy Gardner. This is Guy Gardner. I don't even need to, need to read the option. All right, number two. <laughs> yeah. Before becoming the Spectre, Hal died doing what? Fighting the Green Lantern Corps, fighting Sinestro, saving the multiverse, or saving the sun? I think he saved the sun. Yes, he died reigniting the sun during the final night event. Yeah, awesome. That's why they had to pull his body from out of out the, of the sun. Out of the sun, yeah. All right, number three. Mm-hmm. During the events of the story, Carol Ferris is married to a man with what name? Is it John, Gil, Hector, or Frank? Gil. Yes, it's Gil. Presumably named for Gil Kane, the original uh, Green Lantern artist. The the original Hal Jordan Green Lantern artist. That's cool. Co-creator. All right, number four. Guy Gardner's body rejects the alien DNA he possessed, which came from which race? The Korugarians, the Bolivaxians, the Zudarians, or the Valdarians? Zudarians. No, the Valdarians. Valdarians. Oh, man, Volvo. Korugar is Sinestro's planet. Bolivax Vic is Kilowog's planet. Zudar or Exudar, is heard it both ways. Tomar Tomar Ray's planet. Oops. And the Valdarians were the race. That, yeah. yeah. That was when, again, you know, Kyle was the only Green Lantern, but Guy Gardner still had some fan following from, I guess, from his Justice League days. Um, so they wanted to give him his own solo title, but mm-hmm. they didn't just want him to have no power. So they retconned it and said, oh, actually, he had this alien ancestor. Mm. And so he can 
shapeshift his body into living weaponry so he could fire lots of guns and everything because it was the 90s so everybody had to be able to fire lots of guns all the time Mm -hmm. so his series was guy gardner warrior and Mm -hmm. so he had this bar did the bar came later i'm not sure but you see the bar in this story too yeah uh warriors which is named after the fact that that was his code name and the name of that run warrior so his bar was called warriors and it had like all these green lantern statues and everything there Uh um it was like a, a shrine to the Green Lantern Corps, but a bar that he would run as, you know, as the bartender. Oh, that's cool. All right, number five. Mm-hmm. The item that Hal keeps, which belonged to his father, is what? Oh. His, his dog tags, mm-hmm. his hat, his jacket, or his car? His jacket. Yes. Very good. So you got, you didn't get the Valdarians. Four out of five. Yes, you got four out of five. Dang straight. Very good. Woo! So we only have a couple of shows this week. Um, we have the season premiere of season two of Harley Quinn, and we had another episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So this is a fun episode of Harley Quinn. I mean, that was great. We only, it's only been like a month since the last season ended, it feels like. Actually, I feel it's been five or six Trust weeks. Trust me, it's been longer. <laughs> well, no, it's only been five or six weeks because it ended and then we got DC Universe All-Star Games for, for five weeks and yeah. then it started again. Yeah. So it's literally only been five or six weeks. Um, it just feels like it's been longer. It's only been a little over a month, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, this picks up right where the last one ended. So Gotham is pretty much trashed. There's The GCPD is in tatters. Yeah. Commissioner Gordon is even in worse shape than he was before. Batman's missing. It's sort of every villain for himself. So yeah. here we get introduced to Alfred Molina as Mr. Freeze. Uh-huh. And we get a bunch of returning villains back like Penguin, Bane. I guess no Scarecrow because Scarecrow was killed in the last season. Joker's still MIA. We yeah. know that he's sort of out there somewhere seemingly been returned to sanity or non-chemical effectiveness or whatever you want to call it but we no sign of him yet um yeah just another really good episode um and again they manage like a little character arc in there where she just wants to have fun in this new status quo but when she sees just how bad it's going to get with all all these other criminals taking over their own little fiefdoms uh, she decides that she's got to step up and sort of like unify the city again so it's basically no man's land yeah which is which was the conceit of no man's land which is all the different villains would carve up the city into their own little factions. right so and that it was poison cut ivy, off from everything poison else. ivy had robinson park which she turned into like her own little mm-hmm. forest and mm-hmm. then you know i'm not sure if bane was there or not but like penguin had his little area which was like where the high society had mm-hmm. congregated and then joker had this area and you know yep. so it's basically the same conceit just you know with wacky comedy yeah i like bane town yeah, I like when she's trapped <laughs> in the ice and so everybody, all the villains are, are like trash talking her, but yeah. it's muffled because she's through the ice. So you can understand what everybody else is saying. But, but the, not Bane. But the combination <laughs> of Bane's already muffled voice and the ice muffling it means that he's completely incomprehensible. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh, so Clone Wars, this was a, the third of four episodes in the, you know, quote unquote, Ahsoka's walkabout arc. Yep. Um, this one was fun. It had some good action sequences, some good characterization. It seemed a little unnecessary in the sense that it they're they're in, in the jail cell at the beginning and, the and then they get place. back in the jail cell at the end. Yeah. But, you know, Ahsoka's character moves forward a bit. Um, the big sister's character moves forward Ra- a bit in terms it's of like Rafa's her, story her, yeah. her self-professed culpability in their situation. And other plot threads are seated there. Like there's like secret Mandalorians that are watching everything going mm-hmm. on. And we recognize, oh, that's Katie Sackhoff's voice. So we yeah. see now why it's a little bit of a coincidence, I guess. But maybe it's the Force who's, you know, weaving <laughs> Guides the threads us all, of their faith yes. together. <laughs> but they know that Ahsoka's there. And so I Binds guess they're going to pluck her up and take her back to Mandalore to help them cast off the shackles of Dar- Darth Maul and Darth Sidious, I guess, in the final arc. So that's how she's going to get involved in all that. But the interesting thing is that, and this is it, um, um, Katie Sackhoff's character doesn't know that she's out of the Jedi Order because this is free, fresh recent events. And there's no way that she would know. I guess. But that's exactly that's what she said. That's probably true. But, but that's exactly, and, well, no, if you think back to the, and they really did this art because it, in just a couple lines of dialogue when they're sitting on the roof and saying, um, oh, I don't know if that's her, but if they are here, then we could be, u- they, they might be useful to us. 
Um, and they say, keep an eye on her. She might be Yeah, but if they want the help of the Jedi, if they think they're getting the help of the official Jedi Order, they could just petition the Jedi Council to come help them on Mandalore. I kind of figure that the reason why Ahsoka gets involved is because she's kind of close enough to a Jedi to be useful to them, but it cuts through all the red tape of having to I actually... I bet you a million Deutschmarks that it comes up that they don't know that she's out of the order because I feel like from that dialogue, it felt like they think that the rest of the Jedis are not too far behind and that's not the case. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So, I yeah. think I was mostly in that scene just sort of squinting to try to figure out who the different characters were based on their <laughs> yes, voices yeah. and like kind of some of the dialogue itself kind Gotta of, get kind lost, of passed me yeah. by. Yeah, yeah but it was another was good episode. So one, so really one more, good. one more here to conclude this arc, and mm-hmm. then we get the big four-part conclusion yeah. series finale. CG they set up the characters, and I think they grew in this episode, which is very good and interesting because it grows their relationship as well. I'm sure in the next one, it's going to come out that she's a Jedi, or maybe not. I don't even know. Well, I mean, there's no way know. this arc ends without the two sisters learning about. Oh, they're it, definitely going to learn at some place. But yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Of course, that not all Jedi are bad. Just like not all people. Well, are Ahsoka has yeah. to. Ahsoka ha- is learning that the Jedi aren't everything they cracked up to be, right. and these sisters have well, to again, learn. These sisters have to learn that the Jedi aren't all bad either. Yep. Because mm-hmm. you hear the story being told, and really the only nit you can pick with it, I mean, one could argue, I suppose, the De- Jedi shouldn't have gotten involved in the war. The Jedi shouldn't have pursued Cad Bane into the lower levels in the first place because it might endanger people. But if you're if you're willing to grant that they had no choice but to get involved, and they have to, it's sort of their responsibility to pursue dangerous criminals. Right. I mean, this is the whole issue even in real life about like should cops conduct like high speed pursuits in residential areas or whatever. But if you're if you're willing to grant that they they should pursue dangerous criminals who are escaping, right? And yeah, then sometimes there's going to be collateral damage. And unfortunately, in those situations, the the you know the law enforcement, for lack of a better term, has to choose between you know some people dying or other people dying. Yeah. And they made a choice which saved the most lives and sounded like they were kind of dickish in the way that they apologized for it afterwards. But some, to me, like the most you can really say is maybe they shouldn't have been involved, but the boat ships kind of sailed on that one. And maybe they could have apologized nicer, but that's not really like I can understand why why the sisters would be hurt, obviously, because they lost their family and they ha- haven't lived exactly the easiest life since or probably before either. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, to me, the like to to me and to the and I kind of feel like to Ahsoka, I understand why she would be sympathetic because she's like a very empathetic character. But I, I was I I kind of was thinking that she might also have a bit of a response where maybe eventually, like maybe she wasn't in the place to respond this way in that moment. But eventually, it would kind of be nice if she sort of said, "Well, you know, <laughs> they were they were trying their best to save yeah. lives, yeah. and you know what, like I don't know what you know what I mean, like." Right. What do you want? Like she, like she's been slightly disillusioned with the Jedi now, but they were like basically her entire life and family for most of her life. I, I would know. think that she would be a little more defensive of them, especially in a situation where it's really hard to say that they did the wrong thing, just blanket, you right, know, black right. or white situation. Right. You know, I think she would be a little more defensive. I understand that she necessarily wouldn't want to speak up in that moment right. and say, well, you know, exactly. maybe that's they exactly did the right thing in letting your parents die. I know. But that's it, not the moment when somebody's exposing their heart to you in in that way and, and their pain, it, which is very real and very valid, then you don't want to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's it, not the moment just, to be like, well, let's play devil's advocate it's just in a, here. It's just a bit of a trope in fiction where characters yes. blame other characters or or organizations kind of illogically and irrationally because yeah. of something tragic that happened to them when they were young. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I Younger. hate... Younger. This you know, was very recent I'm, that it happened. I, you know, I yeah. hate all 
I hate all Jedi because of this, or like, oh man, I hate all superheroes because of that one time Superman wasn't quite fast enough to save my family from a fire, and now I'm going to devote my life to destroying Superman, no matter how many people I have to kill. Like, that never, that doesn't make any logical sense, but that's the origin of like hundreds of supervillains, right? Like, the hero didn't do enough to save my family or something, and so now I'm going to kill hundreds of people to get to them or something. Like, it makes no sense. Obviously, these characters aren't going that far, but when I see characters like, have their, they have those blinders on, mm-hmm. and they're they're and they're um they've got like an irrational hatred of or fear of characters that because they're characters we know we know that their heart was in the right place and they were trying to do the right thing right even if maybe they made a mistake it makes it hard for me to empathize with those characters because we the audience have a broader perspective we know that the Jedi even though they're in this war that maybe they shouldn't be yeah. are always trying to do the right thing and they're almost all like incredibly pure hearted and noble yeah almost all yeah um so it's hard for me to be like to to feel that sorry for them you know mm-hmm. because we didn't know their parents really and we only barely know them so it's hard for me to really feel that much right sympathy for for their exact loss and yeah. in, instead i just kind of feel like you're being too hard on them you know and so it's hard yeah. for me to make that connection but yeah. it's more just like in service of their arc and ahsoka's arc where she's coming to terms with the fact that not everything is as black and, and white as she was brought up to think that it was so yeah no it works in the context of the episode but it was a, that's that's why it was a little frustrating for me so it'd be nice to see in the final episode if if it goes both way ways where ahsoka sort of apologizes for the sins of the jedi but at the same time the sister's presumably in learning that she's got you know a jedi heritage mm-hmm. um accept her not just for who she is but come to learn that the jedi aren't the bogeymen that they think that they were right yeah, that would hopefully be the ending of this arc yeah yeah wow and that's all we have so not that's much it. news not many shows this week it'll probably be the same next week we'll just we'll have, just have these two shows again yep and then we'll have, probably we'll have read something we can talk about and there might be a little bit of news but yep that's it That's it. So short show. Um, Stay safe, stay happy. And uh, if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... Ooh, what was that? It's a lightsaber. Ooh.